Welcome to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast, a peek into the minds and strategies of the world's greatest copywriters, marketers, and persuasion experts. And now, here's your host, Brian Cassangina. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Geniuses of Copywriting Podcast. Now, for me, a much anticipated day has finally arrived, uh, not just because of the uh, the caliber of guests we've got on, but because uh, I consider this man, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the good people in the industry, you know, a personal friend, a guy I've worked with as well. So uh, I'd like everybody to um, welcome one of my uh, personal favorite marketers to, to the call, uh, Todd Brown. Thanks for coming on, Todd. Of course, man, this is long overdue, right? We should have done this much earlier, but I'm glad that we were able to finally connect and get it on the calendar. And so excited to be with you, man. Yeah, I can remember uh, mentioning this to you like, uh, well, I don't know how long ago, but, but I'm glad that we were finally able to sync up because uh, I know that you've I've studied your work for uh, many years. You know, I've been to uh, some of your events, which was awesome. Um, I've uh, studied many, a lot of your stuff, got bought a lot of your products. So um, I know that what you've got to share today is going to be really valuable to the, uh, the group here. So um, for those who uh, have uh, been living on Mars and not quite sure about who Todd Brown is, uh, can you tell, start off with a bit of a story, how you, how you got started and, and how you came up with uh, what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so uh, so I would say I've been in the direct response world for about two decades, so just about 20 years. And uh, to, to keep the story real brief, I was working for a health club company in New Jersey, and I got a direct mail piece, uh, a direct response direct mail piece, offering a kind of a fitness training uh, like marketing uh, program. And it was the first time that I had ever seen a direct response, like a long form direct response piece. And so uh, I asked my boss at the time if I could buy it and expense it. It was a, it was a few hundred dollars. He said, yes. I got this thing in the mail. It was at the time when uh, these gigantic courses were, were sent in the mail. You know, there was, you know, like a diskette uh, and cassette tapes and binders and whatnot. And that was my first exposure to, you know, guys like Gary Halbert and, and, uh, and Dan Kennedy and just this whole world of direct response, long form copy. And so I was so enamored and blown away that uh, I called the, the guy who created the program and I asked him who he had really studied and learn from. Of course, he said Gary Halbert, Dan Kennedy, and then I began studying those guys. And while I was studying those guys, I was starting to implement some stuff in the uh, in the fitness facilities and some stuff, you know, needed to be tweaked and changed and, and whatnot. Well, I ended up over the next, uh, I think, couple of years, I grew my department to a multi-million dollar uh, department, largely off of the back of this new direct response kind of stuff and goodies that I um, that I learned. And then uh, I really just got bit by the bug it, to share with others kind of the the stuff that uh, that I had learned, that I had tweaked, that I had implemented in the fitness facilities. And so uh, I started helping massage therapists with their uh, with their marketing, growing their practices using uh, direct response. And 
the it just took off and uh eventually it took off. I ended up leaving my job at the, uh, the health club company after many, many years, moved my family down to South Florida, which is where we are now. And, um, and then I, I ended up going into just multiple, um, industries after that, uh, worked with chiropractors and, uh, and dentists and martial arts school owners and then I just started sharing with the kind of the mainstream entrepreneurial world uh, how I was putting together um, funnels. And really, uh, I skipped over kind of how I developed or learned the foundation of the E5 method, but the rest is really history. Today, I'm blessed uh, to work with you know, big, uh, some big companies, uh, entrepreneurs doing, you know, a million more, 10 million, 50 million. We've got clients that are, you know, over a hundred million. Uh, and so it's been quite a ride, man. Yeah. And, uh, I'm glad that, uh, uh, that, uh, you've gone through all of that because, uh, uh, you know, so many of us have benefited from, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about today, which is the E5 method. And uh, I've, I know that you've got uh, a ton of case studies, and and uh, you know I've uh, uh, seen the uh, the methodology in practice, which is why I'm so excited to sort of dissect that today with you. And and uh, you know it might be uh, you know uh, fairly obvious to some uh, in the industry that uh, you know you, you get uh, Todd Brown on on a call. You know we're going to discuss the E five method, but uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, that that's a good thing. You know, Sometimes things can be sort of, you know, um, uh, a little bit obvious like that, but there's a reason for it because the E5 method is so good and so proven. And it's also quite rare to, for somebody to really come up with a genuinely original uh, uh, system like that. Um, and I think that, that it, it would be uh, remiss of us uh, not to dive into that, especially when it, it's got the potential to help so many people. So, um, uh, uh, I'd love, I'd love for, for our listeners to uh, know more about the, e, the E5 method and, and how they can apply it in their businesses. Yeah, so I, I'll say this. Let me let me start with this. So you know, I I would. Um... You know, I don't know if I would say original because I, I believe that, you know, we've all learned from others and stood on the shoulders of giants, you know, that have come before us. Yeah. And uh, and so I owe a, a tremendous amount of credit to uh, to a number of uh, of people. But the thing to really understand, I think where how I was really able to to kind of condense this, how I was really able to come up with this method. And at the root, the E5 method is a a process, a methodology for creating a unique type of marketing campaign that is used to acquire buyers, customers, clients. It's a front-end campaign that is used uh, to bring in uh, you know, new buyers. And so really where this came from was that I was really blessed early on, man, to uh, I was introduced to Mark Ford. Mark, for those folks that don't know who Mark is, Mark is really he wrote under the pen name Michael Masterson for many years. I think he's got 18 today, 18. Uh, I think he told me last time, 18 or so published books, many of which are Wall Street Journal bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers. He's the book Ready, Fire, Aim is one of his most popular books, um, which I believe he's doing an updated version of. Well, Mark is the 
really the marketing kind of what I would call the marketing mastermind behind uh, the Agora companies. The Agora companies are really the 800 pound gorilla in the world of direct response, right? A $1.5 billion a year company. Uh, they mostly sell financial newsletters, alternative health newsletters, uh, but they are the 800 pound gorilla. And so I had the, you know, I had the good fortune of meeting Mark. I was introduced to Mark by my good friend, Rich Sheffrin, many, many moons ago. We all live uh, within 10, 15 minutes of each other. And so I got to, I, I not only got to know Mark, but I got into the, this world of, of Agora, this kind of publishing um, empire based on, you know, old school direct response. And so I always had one foot in the, uh, the uh, kind of the Agora world, that old school direct response world, and one foot in the internet marketing world. And so what I was able to do, and it's, it's interesting because, because really until the kind of the E5 method was introduced, those two worlds never really intersected, meaning there are a lot of things that the, that Agora does and does really well that the internet marketing folks just don't do or ignore, or don't understand. And there's a lot of things that the internet marketing folks do well that the folks in Agora didn't know and didn't understand. And so I was able to yeah. see the intersection between those two and really bring together the best of what uh, I understood about what was working in the internet marketing world and what was working in Agora. And that kind of intersection became the E5 method, became this way of engineering a unique type of campaign, which just performs like gangbusters. And the funny thing is it performs like gangbusters, both in the Agora world today and in the internet marketing world. And so does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's definitely, you're definitely right about it. Like not being like something you invented out of thin air. Um, you know, uh, there's the old saying that the pioneers got shot full of arrows, but uh, you've used the inspiration of, of these uh, uh, different sources, especially like Agora, you know, to uh, to come up with something that, that, that really works for you. So, and for works yeah. for a lot, a lot of people. So I'm really interested to uh, dive in exactly how the E5 method works and, and how we can use it. Yeah, so let's start with a foundational point that might seem uh, almost insignificant, but it is extremely significant. And that is this, that, uh, and then I'm going to tell you this, the, this one thing that Mark told me, which changed the entire trajectory of my entrepreneurial career. And really, it's what led to the start of the formation of the E5 method. Yeah. First, though, is the, you know, what a lot of entrepreneurs, what a lot of marketers online don't understand that I really didn't understand early on is that marketing and selling are not the same activity. And there are, you know, there are a lot of people that will use the term sales funnel, marketing funnel, online sales, online marketing. They'll use it interchangeably as if it is the same thing. But marketing and selling are two completely different activities with two completely different objectives. Selling is what you do when you are talking to a prospect who already knows the type of product that they want. And they really want to know why is yours better than the other options, right? And so selling is when you are talking about your product, when you're talking about the 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 deliverables, the features, when you're talking about it, maybe the advantages, the benefits of your product or service, when you're talking about price, terms, guarantee, uh, you know, bonuses, uh, when you're talking about your you know your company, uh, your product's track record, all of that is selling. 
But marketing is about the prospect and marketing is about the prospects challenges, the prospects obstacles, the prospects frustrations. And it's really all about leading the prospect to want your product or service before you ever even talk about your product or service. And that's why I, I love what Peter Drucker, the greatest management guru ever said about marketing. He said, the job of marketing, the objective of marketing is to make selling superfluous, to make selling unnecessary. And really what he meant was that when marketing is done the right way, the, the sales portion, and I say that with air quotes, is really a matter of presenting a great offer, right? It's not a matter of twisting somebody's arm. It's not a matter of using shenanigans and, and you know weird language patterns and all that. It's a matter of presenting an offer to somebody that then wants your product or service. And so the job of marketing is to take a prospect's desire for a result, an outcome, a transformation, and to turn it into demand for our product or service before we ever even introduce the product or service. That right there alone, Brian, was a huge kind of mind shift for me because what I was taught early on, which I no longer agree with today, is that marketing is just salesmanship in print. Right. And this was said by, you know, it's the direct response guys. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. I've got this library at home that I, that I love and adore and cherish. And the most valuable shelf for me is the, the, the book, uh, the books of legends, the old school direct response guys. But the reality is, is that what we like, we're, we're not simply just pitching a product. We're not simply just talking today to the people that are already in the market for our exact product, because that is a, a small segment of the overall marketplace. Today, we have the ability to take people that maybe aren't even in the market for our type of product and lead them to want our product through our marketing. And so you have to start with this understanding of the difference between marketing and selling. I'm a marketer. I'm not a salesperson. I hate sales. I'm not good at it. I don't like it. I don't mm. like doing it. Fortunately, when you understand effective marketing, you can set up the sale to naturally occur, to be in a natural extension of what it is that you um, do. And so before I go on, is that, did I, is, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's a great distinction you know, between marketing and, and selling where uh, they're often used interchangeably, like, like you said. And um, uh, so basically what we really want is, uh, 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 going, moving on from Peter Drucker's uh, amazing quote, is we really want more marketing than sales. Would that, make sense? Would that be right? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, what I would say is, is this, is that, uh, is that through better marketing, we can create more sales because see when without this, this, this can turn into a rabbit hole. And so I want to be careful with this, but you know, when you look at, you know, when you look at the different levels of prospect awareness, right, which Eugene Schwartz really pioneered many, many moons ago uh, in one of the greatest, if not the greatest marketing book ever published, Breakthrough Advertising, he talked about there's unaware, there's problem aware, there's solution aware, there's product aware, and there's most aware, right? In your market, every marketplace is made up of people in those different levels, at those different levels. Well, I realized and uh, that the 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 size of the universe shrinks 
as you go up levels. And so I present the, the prospect awareness levels as a pyramid. At the bottom of the pyramid is unaware. At the top of the pyramid is most aware. As you go up, when you, when you go from unaware, when you're targeting unaware and you, you're now targeting problem aware, the universe shrinks. When you go from problem aware to solution aware, the universe shrinks even more and up to product aware, it shrinks that much more. And when you go to most aware, that's the smallest kind of percentage of people in your, uh, in your marketplace. Well, the, the reality is, is that when you focus on selling, when you focus on pitching a product and talking about your product and talking about the benefits of the product and what the product will do, that only works with people that are in those higher levels of awareness, meaning it works with a smaller universe of people. But if you want to be able to tap into the bigger universe of people, the problem aware, the people that are aware that they have a problem, but they're not aware maybe of the different solutions out there, let alone your product, or even the people that are unaware that they have a problem and they're, therefore they're not even in the market for a product. Uh, in order to convert those people, you have to start with marketing. You can't start with selling because they're not interested in your product. And so it's not just a matter of pitching a product. It's a matter of turning somebody's desire into demand. Uh, and you do that, you, you only do that with marketing. And so let me tell you what Mark told me that kind of this was right. I started to understand this and I started to see this in the world of Agora. And I, I knew that, you know, when Mark uh, started uh, really guiding Agora, they were like a $10 million company and they grew to, you know, to uh, today 1.5 billion. But when I was talking to Mark, they were, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I said, what was responsible for uh, Agora's growth? Like, why was Agora able to grow so much, right? And I, I certainly expected him to tell me that it was they, they had a lot of capital, they had a huge email list, or they did a ton of traffic. And, and while all of those things were true, that's not what Mark said. What Mark said, which changed, like I said, the entire trajectory of my entrepreneurial journey, he said to me, he said, Todd, we realized early on that we are really in the idea business. That's the business that we are in. We're in the, the business of developing and disseminating interesting, compelling, often contrarian ideas, ideas that immediately grab the marketplace's attention, ideas that they view as fresh, timely, unique, and different, ideas that they haven't heard before that they want to hear more of. And it was that statement that sent me off to learn. Uh, it sent me off really on a, on a multi-year journey to understand what Mark was really referring to as the big marketing idea. And that became the first piece of the E5 method, understanding that behind every marketing campaign is an idea and the quality of the idea trumps everything else. Meaning, right, like the, that a big marketing idea can carry a marketing campaign, even if it has weaker copy, a weaker headline, right? But the you 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 tend to see very hyperbolic exaggerated copy copy loaded with these kind of ridiculous claims and uh and a bunch of adjectives and adverbs you see that copy come about from a weak idea they're starting with a weak ordinary run-of-the-mill idea behind their campaign and they're trying to make that weak ordinary idea sound great and so the only way that they can do it is with puffery but with the words that they use but what I realized was that most of the biggest, most successful uh, campaigns 
both offline and online were built on the back of big marketing ideas, just great, interesting, compelling, emotionally compelling, intellectually interesting ideas that were unique and different. And when you start with that, you don't have to use puffery or exaggeration. You let the idea shine through. And so that is one of the first principles within the engineering stage of the E5 method that we teach people how to do, how to, you know, understanding the difference between an ordinary marketing idea and a big marketing idea, uh, and understanding how to form and develop and find seeds of big ideas that they can then use in their marketing to stand out and get attention. Yeah, that, that's awesome. It's one of the things that uh, um, when I create a, a campaign uh, myself or a client, you know, it's it's one of the things I spend the most time coming up with that big idea um, that really breaks through. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh this is part of the first stage of E5? This is part of the second stage. So the first part of the, the first stage of E5, right? E5 consists of five stages. The first stage is the examination stage. And while it, this is the stage where we're looking at competitors, we're looking, we're starting with prospects, we're then examining competitors. And then of course, we're examining the product that we're about to engineer a campaign for. Only after we've done the right level of examination, do we then go on to the engineering stage? So we don't engineer anything. We don't begin to put together a marketing campaign or an E5 campaign until we really uh, have a full scope and understanding of the marketplace. First and foremost, the prospects, right? What do they want? You know, what are their desires? What are their fears? What are their obstacles? What are their, what's, what problem are they dealing with or issue? Uh, you know, what are their emotions, their feelings? Uh, what are their uh, beliefs? And then we go on to competitors and we're looking at uh, a couple of things with competitors. We're looking at their offers so that when we construct what we call, which is part of the, the E5 method, a SIN offer, our aim is to create a, an offer that's superior to competitors. So we have to look at their offers and the different components of their offers. And we're also looking at how are they positioning their product or their mechanism, which I'm sure you and I will, will, will get into. And then only after we've examined prospects and then look, we've looked at what competitors are saying to prospects and how they're positioning their product or service and the offer that they're presenting, do we then go on now with that kind of as the filter to examine the product, to, un to uncover really what it is that we're going to use to, uh, when we go into the engineering stage. And then within the engineering stage, one of the steps is the, uh, is the big marketing idea. It's not the first step, but it's one of the steps. Yeah. And I think that's one of the mistakes a lot of, a lot of people make and, uh, yeah, I've certainly not been immune to it myself. Uh, you know, uh, there's the old saying that, uh, build it and that will come and they even made movies, uh, about, about that kind of thing. But, uh, but that's, that's just, part of Hollywood fantasy. If you don't have the, uh, the audience there, if you don't do that uh, uh, examination stage, then you could be wasting a whole lot of time and money uh, engineering stuff uh, that nobody wants. Yeah, because it, you're, you're so right, Brian, because it's all about the prospect. At the end of the day, you know, and this is something that often, you know, uh, marketers, copywriters can take for granted, but it's all about the prospect. We have to learn to get out of the way. It's not about what interests us, what compels us, what motivates us, what would drive us. It's all about the marketplace. It's all about prospects. And so we not only have to understand 
what prospects want, right? What is the perfect solution to them? What aspects of a solution do they not want? What are they struggling with? What are their frustrations, their fears, their obstacles, their issues? What do they believe that could impact what it is that we um, say or what it is that we choose not to say? We have to kind of understand that. And then we have to understand what it is that, that they've been exposed to already in terms of marketing messages from competitors. Because, you know, differentiation, having something different to say, a different idea, a different angle, a different perspective, a different story is critical because different gets attention, right? Like a lot of marketers, a lot of entrepreneurs, they think, they mistakenly think that better, like if I have, if, if my thing is better or if I make it sound better, that that's what gets attention. But the reality is, is that better doesn't always get attention. And not to mention that what prospects expect a marketer uh, to say is that their product is better, right? Like by you saying mine is the best, that's not a surprise to them. That's what they expect you to say, right? They don't expect you to say mine is, is the third best or the fourth best, right? They expect you to say that yours is the best. And so, right, different gets attention. And so we've got to have uh, have something different to say. Well, in order to know what would be different, what would be common, what would be ordinary, we have to understand the marketplace. We have to understand prospects and we have to understand and see what it is that competitors have already said. Because what we don't want to do is simply model or copy the idea, the word choice and everything like that being used by competitors, because that's simply a recipe for creating more noise in the marketplace. And so the, the other thing that you said that I think is also spot on is there's this weird kind of mentality, uh, certainly in the internet uh, marketing um, space, if you will, yeah. that, you know, there's this, especially from new marketers and entrepreneurs and copywriters that they think that, you know, number one, if they publish the page, right? Like I put up a, you know, an opt-in page, I put up a VSL, I put up an order form and therefore it should be working, right? Because I said X in my VSL, folks should believe me, they should be buying. It's all right. Like they, they think that yeah, just because yeah. they publish it, that it's going to work. And they think that there's magic, the, the kind of the magic, if you will, or the power is in the pages. Like they think that the power is I've got a lead magnet. I've got a lead generation page. I've got a VSL page. I've got an order form. And they think that it's so my campaign is set up correctly. But the reality is, is that the magic, the power is not in the pages. The power is in what's being said on those pages. The power is in the message. The power is in the idea behind what's being said and then how it's being communicated. And then ultimately the offer in the end. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, uh, everything that you're um, going through is is so insightful. I'm just sit, sitting here tempted to sort of dive into that, but uh, uh, but we could probably go on for days like like that. But uh, um, so we've got uh, examination and. Uh, uh, engineering is the first two stages of E5. Yes. And then we've got uh, evaluation. The, the next three are evaluation, enhance, and then expand. So the evaluation stage is the stage that we go into after we've engineered an E5 campaign. So an E5 campaign consists of uh, elements like a big marketing idea. There is a uh, emotionally hooking lead, which is the first 350, uh, 500 words of the marketing campaign. Yeah. We present, uh, of course, we're introducing a unique mechanism. And then we've got the marketing argument, which is there to prove that 
our mechanism, our, our the way that our product or service works to deliver the result is superior to every other product or service out there, right? And so we, what we're doing, we're constructing or engineering this campaign that introduces a unique mechanism, a unique way of experiencing the result or outcome that the prospect wants. Then we're proving it. We're getting buy-in on the unique mechanism. And then we are um, going into what we call the presentation of a SIN offer, which is how they get the unique mechanism with the product and the offer. Well, when we, when we initially engineer an E5 campaign, we always engineer what's called a minimum viable funnel. So before we, you know, before we uh, create, like, let's say the upsell, if we're going to use an upsell, a downsell, before we create the back end and anything like that, what we want to do is we want to prove the profitability, the viability of the core campaign. And so, right, there's no, like, there are people that have spent a ton of time creating a campaign and creating upsells and downsells and a second upsell in the back end. And then they launch the campaign and the campaign doesn't work. Well, mm. nobody sees the upsell. Nobody sees the downsell. Nobody sees the second upsell. Nobody sees the back end because nobody's buying. So before you waste any time and energy and effort and money <clears throat> creating those other pieces, we want to evaluate the minimum viable funnel. And so we, we've got a process. Uh, I won't bore folks with the, the, the whole process, but there's a process <laughs> for rolling it out. We roll it out so that we can prove the viability and profitability of our core elements first. Once we do that, yeah. once we do that, then we go to the enhancing stage and the enhancing stage is where we turn that MVF into a full blown, um, into a full blown campaign. So that's where we add in all the pieces that are not included in the minimum viable funnel. Once we've gone through the enhancing stage and we've turned it into the, uh, into a full blown campaign, then we go into the expanding stage and the expanding stage is really just, it's a fancy way of saying scale. This is where we pump yeah. more and more people into the campaign that we've now tested, proven, enhanced, and now we just drive more and more, uh, you know, more and more people into the campaign so that you get more and more buyers. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and this is uh, something that has always been really interesting to me. Once you get to that stage of of uh, uh, something, you've got something working at a, at a certain level. How, how do you scale up? You know, how how do you uh, uh, decide? Um, you know, how much you want to spend on on traffic and and how 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 do you really uh, uh, what happens during the process of of that scaling up and that enhancement? Well, so I'll say this, which I think will be more valuable for um, for folks to hear and understand. So one of the other uh, just transformational lessons that I I, I learned, and I, I think this was just kind of more from uh, learning. This was more observation and kind of and, and pondering than it was somebody telling me this, but. Um, uh, but when I understood this, what I'm about to say, it also changed uh, so much for me. And that is this, man, that uh, that we are really just investors, man, as entrepreneurs, as as business owners, you know, uh, even, you know, copywriters that are working for uh, an entrepreneur business owner, marketing and the acquisition of customers is really just a game of investment, investing. And what I mean by that, Brian, is that we are 
you know, we're investors. We're investing in the acquisition of assets. Those assets happen to be customers. And just like any asset, those assets have a value today, the amount of money that they that a, uh, that a new customer spends with us when they become a new customer. And that asset has a future value. The future value of a customer, sometimes referred to as lifetime value, right, is all about how much more that customer, once we've got them, goes on to spend with the business. At the same time, right, so that's the kind of the, the asset side of the investing game yeah. that we're playing, right? Then there's the cost, right? So then there is, well, what does it cost us to acquire a, a new buyer, right? So just like any investment, right, what we're looking at is what is it going to cost me to acquire this asset? What is the asset worth to me today, right? And what is the asset worth to me in the, um, in the future? And so I'm sharing that here and now in this context, because, right, you had said, like, what does, you know, what do I spend on traffic? Well, one of the first things that I would advise people to do is to stop using the word spend when it comes to traffic, right? Because the, this idea of, um, of uh, you know, uh, how much should I spend? What should my marketing budget be? The idea of a marketing budget is really something that comes from the world of brand institutional advertising. It's really something that comes from the typical mom and pop business owner out in the world who is not using direct response and is therefore using brand institutional advertising, which is very difficult to track, to measure, to quantify. And so because it's different, meaning that it's hard to, you know, we run, we're running three different radio ads, we're running a billboard and we're running a, a small space ad. Well, it's difficult for brand institutional advertisers to know where the sales are coming from. And so because they're unable to assign an ROI easily to these different assets that they're using, they, they roll with a marketing budget. They say, we're only going to spend $10,000 a month uh, on our advertising. But in direct response, one of the beauties of direct response is that it's all metric driven. It's all data driven. So everything is measurable, quantifiable. We know for every dollar that we put out, uh, how much we make back. Do we make back a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, four dollars? And so I'm sharing that because the reality is, is that once you know your numbers, assuming that you are tracking properly uh, and you understand what it's costing you to acquire an asset and you understand what that asset is. And let's just keep things real simple for a second, Brian. Let's yeah. say that it costs me, it costs us $50 to get a new buyer, right? So we spend $500 on an advertising campaign on Facebook or YouTube or Google or whatever. We spend $500 uh, on, a, on an advertising campaign on paid traffic and we generate 10 buyers. So that means that it costs us $50 per buyer. We have what's called a, a cost per acquisition, a CPA of $50. Yeah. Well, let's say we know that we've got our E5 campaign in place. And just for simplicity, let's say that we know that every buyer that goes through our campaign spends $50 with us. So we know that we've got a cost per acquisition of 50 and we know that every buyer that we acquire spends 50 with us. Well, in that example, what that means is that we are acquiring buyers, customers for free. Our bank account is no less today than it was a week ago, except now we've got 10 new buyers that we can then put into our back end. And all of our profit it, it, it comes from the second transaction, the third transaction, the fourth transaction, the fifth transaction. The single most valuable asset in every business is the customer base, the customer database. 
And so in that, in that one example, if I know that every time I spend $50 to acquire a buyer, that buyer is going to spend $50 with me on average. Some might spend less, some might spend more, but in direct response, we use averages. So I'm spending 50, I'm making back 50 and I'm getting a buyer. I'm acquiring new customers, new buyers, the most single, most valuable asset in my business for free. Well, why would I use a budget? Why would I artificially place a limit on what it is that I can invest? Why would I ever say, should I only spend 10,000 or 5,000 or 3,000 or 50,000? Why would I do that? Because every time I, I, I put out 50, I get back 50 and I get a buyer that I can continue to sell to. And so the reality is when you know those numbers, um, it's not an expense. So we're not spending money, we're investing it to get back a buyer that then we're going to continue to um, deliver more and more value to and generate more and more, uh, you know, revenue. And, and that revenue is bottom line revenue. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, uh, I think that uh, if, if uh, more entrepreneurs had that sort of uh, uh, insight into, into what everything was doing, you know, that they'd be a, a, probably a little more courageous about, uh, about uh, acquiring customers and and uh, even going negative on the front end, you know, if, if you if you want, like you're thinking like an investor, you could invest like uh, you know, uh, ten bucks in each customer. If you're if you're uh, like in your example, say if you could be like an, a a a cost per customer of sixty bucks, and then you know you're spending ten bucks per customer, but you make it up on the back end. That's that's really where the returns come in. Yeah, that's really you're you're spot on. That's really how some of the biggest you know direct response uh, companies operate, right? They they are truly operating as investors. They're looking at what is the the value, the whole value of the buyer. See, the typical mom and pop entrepreneur is very transactionally minded. They're they're looking at they want to produce a certain amount of profit on every transaction, regardless of whether it's the first transaction with a brand new buyer or the 10th transaction with a, a long-term customer. The typical entrepreneur, the typical mom and pop is, is thinking transactionally. I want a 50% margin on every sale, but the savvy direct response marketer understands that we're investors and the, the money, the big money, the, the profit is made on the back end, on the second, third, fourth, fifth transaction in a business. And so our aim on the front end is maximum customer uh, acquisition. We want to acquire the most amount of customers that we possibly can. And so the more that you can invest to acquire a customer, the, the more customers that you can acquire and the easier the game becomes, right? So you take any business that, is, that says, you know, that says to themselves, let's say there's a business that, you know, uh, that uh, generates, you know, ongoing sales once they've gotten a, a buyer. Let's take a health club, for example, where somebody joins the club and they remain a member for months or maybe even years. Uh, right. Well, and let's say right now they're thinking transactionally and so they want a, a margin. And so because let's say the average member is worth call it 50 bucks a month. And when they join, they only spend, let's just keep this, you know, keep it, uh, the, the same and simple. Yeah. Let's say, right, the new member joins, they only spend 50 bucks. And then every 30 days after that, they're going to spend 50 bucks again. And so the health club says, well, we only then want to spend 25 bucks to get a new gym member. We're only willing to invest $25 to get a new gym member because we want to generate a profit on every sale. Well, you and I come along in our new health club and we understand the, the game of direct response being uh, investing. And we say, you know what, we're willing to spend $50 
to uh, acquire a new gym member, knowing that we're not going to generate any profit on that initial transaction, but we're going to generate profit on the second month, the third month, the fourth month, the fifth month. Well, now we're competing with a, a health club uh, with other competitors that are only willing to spend 25 and we're willing to spend 50. There's a lot more that we can do. We can pay more per click. We can have marketing that's not even performing as well as theirs. Like there's just so much more of an advantage. And then of course, if we wanted to go, if we were willing to go negative, if we said, hey, the the average member stays with us for 10 months, meaning that they're worth $500. And so let's spend $80 to get a new gym member, knowing that big deal. So we'll go $30 negative in month one. We're going to be profitable in month two. And then we're going to make yeah. that much more in month three, month four, month five. But now we're able to spend $80 to get a customer. Who's going to win? The one who can only spend or is only willing to spend 25 or the one who's willing to spend 80? The one who's willing to spend 80. It's yeah, going to crush exactly. it. You're going to win. Right? It's going to, it's going to crush it. And so, again, that's why I say that it really is a game of investing. So many entrepreneurs have been taught to look at marketing as an expense, and they've been taught to look for a profit, a margin on every transaction. And they are leaving a tremendous amount of money on the table because of that. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that uh, you went so in depth there. Um, I mean, you can probably talk for days in, in reality, but. Uh, but uh, a lot of the uh, issues that I see with with marketers and and with uh, specifically uh, marketers and copywriters who are listening to this show, uh, you know, a, a lot of them have have offers already, and uh, a lot of them are buying traffic, and and uh, a lot of them uh, have a, a, a reluctance to to uh, break even or go negative. They'll want to. Uh, make a pro that profit on the front end. Obviously, not all of them, but uh, but you know, uh, this is one of the things that uh, uh, when I'm talking to to clients, they uh, it's one one of the first things I want them to do. You know, um, uh, invest more in 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 acquiring these customers, become that investor. So uh, have a have a little more courage to uh, 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 break even or go negative on, on the front end. Uh, and, and that courage comes from knowing your numbers on, on the back end. So uh, I really appreciate you, you detailing that. Awesome. Uh, and I would say, Brian, you know, for what it's worth, man, I would say the, the, the reality is that it, it's not even really, you don't even need courage when you know the numbers. You know, when, when I say yeah. investing, right, most of the time people immediately think like speculation. Like when you invest in a stock, let's say what most people are doing is they're investing because they believe that the stock is going to go up at some point in the future. But the beauty with direct response is that over time, as your business continues to grow and you acquire more customers, you will know what the average lifetime value is. Remember that word, average. That's what we use in the world yeah. of direct response. And so you will know what the average buyer is worth to you. So there is no guessing you know, assumptions. There's no speculation. We know what the, the asset is worth today. We know what the future value of that asset is. And therefore, we can make a decision about how we want to invest to acquire that, that asset. Now, of course, let me give one caveat, Brian, and that is this, that mm -hmm. the only time somebody, everybody on here, everybody listening to this can either for themselves or for their clients can certainly um, go uh, operate at break even. 
meaning where whatever a customer is worth to you today, on average, you should be willing to spend 100% of that to get a new buyer. It'll change the game for you. But nobody should go negative until, number one, they know their metrics. So you have to have your tracking done properly, set up properly. Yeah. You have to have accurate metrics and you have to know what the, uh, the, the, the future value of a buyer is, the one month value, two months, six months, you know, nine months, and yeah. so on. And you, of course, if to go negative, you have to have the cash flow to be able to float that, right? So if we were going $30 negative on every buyer in the example that we covered, and we weren't recouping that $30 negative for another 30 days, well, if you're generating thousands of buyers every single week, you're going to have to have the cash flow to float yeah, uh, yeah. in order to do that. And so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, some of the things I would like to cover, and I always kind of come back to, to your materials, to the E5 course, and, and uh, I think to myself, well, what would Todd Brown do? What, what, would, what, would, uh, what would be in line with the E5 method? That's why, that's why I really want to get you on the show to, to really explain this to the listeners. Well, man, that's humbling. I got to be honest with you. That's because you are, uh, you know, a copywriting phenom. And so that is uh, humbling. And I, I love hearing that. It puts a smile on my face, man. But uh, and I'm honored to know that. Uh, it's, it's, it's just the truth. And, and it's something that I've studied for a while. And this is why I wanted to uh, really expose this to, to the listeners, get you on the show and get them, uh, you know, to uh, dive into the E5 method um to the depth that i have so um uh how how do people find out more about the e5 method because i know you've gone over a lot of stuff it's a lot to take in and i know that you have some, some really good uh um uh, uh you know uh education uh, around this subject that people can take in yeah i i think i would tell people uh your listeners to go to e5methodbook.com and um, and I would tell them to grab the the book bundle. I think it's you know I think the team is is basically giving it away or it's ten bucks or something like that. Mm -hmm. I would tell folks I would encourage them to get the audio version, which I'm sure by the time this is published that'll be uh, available. I just I just just finished that the other day, oh, cool. uh, but the audio version has some additional kind of commentary and a little little expanded. And I'll I'll send you a copy. I'll make sure that you get a copy, oh, Brian, to enjoy. Yeah. That um, and then I would um, they'll they'll get an invite to our uh, Facebook group, which they definitely want to jump in because I share a whole bunch of stuff uh, in there. And so that's what I would recommend. E5methodbook.com. Yeah, for sure. And the, uh, the Facebook group is great as well. I know that uh, uh, especially lately you've been jumping in with a lot of resources, a lot of great information. So uh, that's definitely uh, uh, well worth it. But uh, when people get the uh, the book, they'll get those resources, um, and and it's a book that I highly recommend. You know, uh, uh, it's it's one of the it's a must have uh, for anybody. Um, I've got my electronic copy, which, as I said, I refer to all the time, as well as the uh, uh, the full course and everything. But uh, uh, e5methodbook.com was it? Yep, you yeah, got e5, it. E5 e5 uh, e number five methodbook.com. If you're listening on iTunes, go to that website right now. Um, uh, it's an absolute no brainer for the, for the kind of marketing systems that you're about to get. Uh, very, very uh, simple to implement, but 
uh, actually uh, one of the most effective systems there is. So go to e5methodbook.com and uh, and check that out. There's, there's no 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 kickback to me. All, all I wanted to do is is uh, share the E5 method with everybody. So I really appreciate you uh, taking us through that, Todd. It's been very insightful. Um, uh, you know, I probably, probably say this about, about every guest, but in this case, you know, it's it's uh, 110% true that uh, you've delivered uh, far more value than uh, than uh, was necessary. And, and uh, I thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure, man. We'll have to do this again for sure, because there's so much more that I know you and I could, yes. we could talk for certainly for hours, you and I, uh, maybe even maybe next time we'll get into the weeds <laughs> on, you know, copy messaging. But uh, this was long overdue. And and like I said, I was really looking forward to this. I'm glad that we were able to connect. And uh, I'm just so grateful, man, to have you in our tribe as, uh, you know, using the E5 method. And so thank you so much, man. Yeah, of course. We'll definitely do this again. I'll have my uh, team get in touch with your team and uh, we'll have to have you back on. Because it's like you said, uh, you, we can really get into the weeds and some of the copy stuff. And uh, that's kind of what, what I, I've been like resisting the temptation to to do that. Uh, and then, you know, this this uh, episode is going to go for about like three or four hours uh, at a minimum. So, <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, we'll do this again sometime soon. Uh, in the meantime, anybody who's listening on iTunes or on the website, uh, go to e5methodbook.com. Uh, you absolutely can't go wrong. It's probably going to be the best ROI of any book that you ever get. So go to e5methodbook.com. Uh, thanks again, Todd. Uh, and uh, we will uh, do this again real soon. Sounds great, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Geniuses of Copywriting with Brian Casagina. To get the full transcript and all the resources mentioned on today's show, go to www.geniusesofcopywriting.com now.